So Irina, we haven't talked since you were on the train. We haven't. And this podcast. <laughs> what do you think of today? Well, wonderful day. I can't even believe that it's uh, an active war, but it is there. And I'm very, how to say, sorry and guilty for the people of Ukraine who, instead of just enjoying the perfect weather and beautiful city of Kiev, probably think about their friends or lovers at the front line, things like this. And as a journalist, has it changed something in the way you see Ukraine or you know you can report uh, on it? Uh, definitely, yes. Well, I had some expectations from the beginning, of course, and but actually I'm surprised to see how focused are the people here and how uh, structured is actually their everyday life. Uh, I feel this sense of uh, mobilization uh, in every aspect. Suddenly, in such circumstances like the uh, Russian war against Ukraine, everything becomes more clear and I, I think they, these people around Uh, they are already winning, even even before the actual end of the war. And I think it's, it's a big lesson to, to watch how these people live and how they not only survive, but they actually fight for way of life, for their choice. Hello and welcome back to the show. I am Sarah Loulepers, your host and the editorial coordinator of the Europe-Ukraine Desk of which this podcast is a part. This is the third and last episode of our podcast mini-series, where we met European journalists who came to Ukraine to report on current affairs and collaborate with their Ukrainian colleagues. In the last two episodes, we got to know the fellows on this journey. We followed them on trips and in meetings, discussions and discoveries. Today, we say goodbye. Before we go, we asked them, what did they learn about Ukraine? How did that compare to their expectations? What do they take home with them? What still perplexes them? We will find out in this episode. But first, we meet at the breakfast table. I had a creep, like a good, a good French. I, I had some biscuits with eggs and with a uh, smashed potato. Probably I'm confused. I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know whether I wanted a continental breakfast or an Italian breakfast, so I, I, I basically uh, had both. Yeah, kind of in between. No, me, yeah. me, it was more coffee. I think I had three coffee because of the air defense uh, shortened the night we had. So we had an air defense alert this night. Indeed, we had the second one, uh, but I expected more, to be honest. It was like definitely the second one, uh, but I don't know what you think. For me, it was less worse than the precedent one because it was like 2 a.m. Like it's less difficult than the 4 a.m. to, or maybe we're just getting used to it. I don't know. Yeah, timing was better. We can we can say <laughs> we can thanks Russia for that. <laughs> yeah, for for the timing that was better than the than the first night. In this episode, we're closing the doors we opened, which is why you will hear familiar voices. Here, I'm talking to Lorenzo, 
an Italian investigative journalist who defended Italian pizza against local Ukrainian Deschientik at the end of the first episode. You also heard Alexandre, who undertook OSINT investigations in Bucha. Now you'll hear Davide, also from Italy, who worked for a daily newspaper. It's pretty early for us because we just woke up and we had two alerts in the night. But can you maybe tell me what you will take with you from this trip? Well, I think I'll take a lot with me. And it's not, a, it's not only the professional stuff, the stuff that, I've, uh, that was have helpful for my job. I think it was really precious to meet so many Ukrainians here, um, so many people from the civil society. And I think now I understand much better uh, what the Ukrainians are feeling, what they think now. Now back to Lorenzo and Alexandre. For sure, uh, it was very interesting to see from the ground why Ukrainians are fighting, because they make quite clear their claims on, on their own identity and the imperialism of Russia and how Russia, since a very long time, is trying to steal Ukraine from the U Ukrainians. For me, it was kind of weird because I've been working almost nonstop on Ukraine since... Uh, 24 of February uh, last year, mainly doing like uh, OSINT analysis, post-strike analysis. Like uh, it was very weird for me to, because I've already been here two times before full-scale invasion, but it helped me definitely to feel it or understand it more broadly or more completely, like to complete my, uh, like my understanding of Ukrainian society, who is like changing at an incredible pace. And from a journalistic point of view, like it's also very important, like feel also things because I'm doing like kind of a robot work. It's not the case because we call a lot of people, we call victims, victims, family, relative. Uh, we, we have a lot of exchange with humans, but still I'm mainly doing like a very crude work on uh, strike, on war crimes, on uh, disinformation topics. So it was very interesting like to feel feel Ukraine again, to leave Ukraine again, to have a human exchange uh, informal on different topics, on food and stuff like that with Ukrainian. Is there maybe one thing, one idea that you learned here or that contradicted what you had in your mind previously? I asked this question to Victoria from the Hungarian weekly newspaper. You met her in episode one. One word that often came up in my conversation was guilt. Many people feel the guilt about all different ideas, things. For example, uh, a young journalist told me she was a woman that her male friends are constantly feeling the guilt for not being at the front line. Then the veterans told us that they have this guilt about not being in Mariupol. And then older generations feel the guilt because they couldn't provide the future for their children. So this is this was something that really moved me, that these people are fighting for their future and independence. And they, they're fantastic. I mean, like all the people I met were fantastic. And, uh, and this is such a united nation. But they also united in guilt. And that is very, very sad is the only word I can use here. Victoria expected Kyiv to be a normal city, a buzzing capital, where people live a normal life despite war. And here is Hara, a reporter from El Español. Well, I thought that uh, Ukrainian people were uh, very serious and that they were not kind, but uh, they are uh, really nice. 
indeed, and they uh, want to talk with with anyone and to tell their stories and to uh, they just want the world know what has happened to them. So I think that the the Ukrainian civil society, or at least the part that we met, was is much more nuanced than I thought before. That the people we spoke to, they are really interested to into create a society that looks like a Western European country mm -hmm. with like a free press and uh, rights for everyone. And they are much less inclined, even now, to make compromise because they are in a war. And from outside, from Italy, instead, I thought that they were much, much more ready to make compromises and say, well, we are in a war, so we should not criticize the government. We, we should accept this limitation of the freedom of the press or this other. And instead, I, no I noticed here that there is a large part, at least here in Kiev, of people that believes that an open society is like the, the goal, their, their goal, and they are already trying to reach to reach that goal. From the Ukrainian perspective, it's interesting the way, again, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what they expect from us somehow. I would like to, to try to understand how was it possible that nobody cared, for example, about Crimea or nobody cared uh, from 2014 to 2022 before the full-scale invasion to the this form of occupation of Ukraine. That, that, that's very interesting because for me, like the, the omnipresent thing or like the elephant in the room during this trip, each time we talked with an NGO representative, civil society member or a journalist, but you, you could feel that they, they have this... It's not anger, it's kind of recent or it's kind of they are... Um, you, you could feel that, that they want us to understand that that they want us to take it into consideration, that it's uh, it, uh, and you will feel like when when they talk with us, they do it with a huge suspicion. But still, in, in one of the things that highlights this trip is um, how it's important to talk with uh, with them, to to have exchange with Ukrainian journalists, Ukrainian society uh, as Western journalists, because we still have our perspective, which is in my opinion very different, and uh, it's not like we have to have their point of view because we will never understand what it is to be a journalist where your husband, your brother, your dad is fighting on the front line, is dying on the front line and uh, your, children, so your children are getting bombed. As you might have realized already, this trip is not only about learning something about Ukraine, it's also about learning something about where we, Europeans, are coming from. If you remember, in the previous episodes, we talked about that notion of journalists being soldiers. You heard Victoria from Ukrainian media outlet Suspilny explain these words. But the discussion went on long after we had left the panel at Ukrainian public television. We traveled by bus in Kyiv, and here I caught a conversation between Chaba and Anna, two Hungarian journalists from independent media outlets. We were talking about um, the narrative of the Hungarian government concerning the Ukraine war, whether that is that can be challenged or not. Uh, all of us who are here are working for the independent media in Hungary. What does the government say, for example? The narrative is that Russia is not at fault, or it, not at that extent. It was provoked, yeah. 
and Ukraine doesn't exist. Zelensky is a clown and they uh, should be uh, punished because they made a lot of bad things. Being a journalist in Hungary under the populist leader Viktor Orban's government is getting more and more difficult. Our fellows reported that they have to fight propaganda every day. And as it happens, these Hungarian journalists explained to me that they can pretty much understand how journalists in Ukraine can see themselves as soldiers. When I was hearing it, I wasn't thinking, like, first that it's soldier as soldier. Like, I thought she was speaking figuratively. Like, I'm a citizen of this country. I do what I can do on my field, like a soldier would do on his field. So it, does, it did not strike me as much, this, this uh, sentence. But also what struck me or struck me uh, as... Um, is that in Hungary you, you couldn't, not only you couldn't imagine uh, a telemarathon like that, because you cannot do it because of the uh, ideological differences in the newsrooms. It's like one of the, the public broadcaster is the voice of the government. There are some independent, but also there is one commercial TV who's not as much independent as us. And there are small TVs, and I don't, I cannot imagine that uh, news uh, rooms are working together on a common uh, project. It's just impossible to imagine. That that was the most interesting part of me. Even though they said that they have difficulties sometimes working together, but but still they can manage, which is interesting. We had the same situation in Hungary, but it's totally different. So when uh, when a real journalist was asking a leader of a media, a propaganda media, editor-in-chief, why they are not respecting the journalist, uh, the general journalistic rules, he was saying openly, we are not journalists, we are soldiers. They were soldiers of a propaganda machinery. And Hungary is not under siege, so it's not attacked by Russia. But they believe that they should act as soldiers, and they are respecting the great general <laughs> instructions, and they are doing smear campaigns, all kind of, uh, how do you say, unusual stuff to, to achieve their goals. Back to Victoria, also from Hungary. Uh, what do you expect from this program after? I got so many contacts uh, that are going to be extremely useful, I think, for the next four years. I know now that um, every time I read something and I need to understand it, I have the people to turn to, which is extremely important. And also the grants that we might be applying to, especially in Hungary. I'm really looking forward to working with Ukrainian journalists and covering some of the relationship between the two countries. I mean, like, you have to be there to understand and uh, to see what's happening. And this is what this trip really, really gave me. Also, just another ref very short ref reflection. For me, it was uh, the whole trip was useful, not only in terms of meeting Ukrainian fellows, but also meeting fellows from other EU countries. Because, I mean, like... Every European country has a different perspective on the war. Uh, Hungary is a neighboring country, but like we had uh, people here, journalists here from Spain, for example, and France, who see, may see it a bit differently. So it was, for me, it's also 
like useful to see the European perspective. I really hope to try to find a way to use the same methodology we have already used in cross-border and collaborative investigation for something new. So I hope that this network will help to try to find new way of collaboration, a new way to try to address some of these issues that are quite complex and quite disturbing, uh, especially probably if you're Ukrainian, because you have in their shape, in their identity shaping, they will have to face also this period between 2014 and 2022, what happened, why there were people that has been assimilated to Russia in such a way. It's just because of Russia propaganda, it's because Russia propaganda had official that they were helping to be effective on civil population, who are these officials, what kind of ties they had with uh, Europe, for example, why they were so tied to Russia. And I mean, there are so many questions and I hope that we will have the opportunity to address some of them. Do you have anything to add before we close the mics? I don't think so. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice journey back or away. So you have a big luggage here. I have a big luggage here. Yeah, yeah. And I also have uh, big uh, memories <laughs> yeah. already. Yes. <laughs> I think everyone is there or there. There. On the last day, most fellows were leaving back to their home countries. I met with Krasimir in the lobby who looked very serious. How was it, this trip? It was a very emotionally human trip. Uh, it was experience that I never had, that I prefer not to have more. Not in the sense that I, I didn't want uh, to come back in Kiev. No, I, I will come no one many times, I think. Uh, inshallah, like uh, Muslims say, I don't want to be such situation in other countries that we should to go to think about war, to speak about war, to to write about war. Do you come back changed? Hmm. I told you that it was human experience, and uh, I, I think. Every one of us is changed because of uh, what we hear, what we saw. You you cannot uh, you can't uh, be uh, untouched in a such situation like uh, Ukraine. Do you think you're you have a lot of emotions now? I can see your you have tears. Do you think it's because? Your country has a, a history that you think is uh, similar, or you think close to Ukraine. No, we are. <laughs> it's it's uh, hard to say. Uh, not not only for Ukrainian because uh, w- this what happened in uh, Ukrainian it can be in Bulgaria, it uh, could be in Poland, in uh, Slovakia and Czech, everywhere. Corentin, 
as a French journalist, what do you feel when you see Krasimir's emotion? Because he says he feels close to Ukraine and it could be Bulgaria as well as Poland or Slovakia. France is not really con directly concerned. <coughs> what do you think of what he says? Well, obviously, they are very close uh, neighbors. They share some part of history. That's what was important as well in this trip, that w they can communicate that to us who live quite more far away, even if it's we're, Paris is only two hours flight from Kiev. But, and I completely get what he feels because what the people we talk to, Uh, the emotions, the energy, and uh, everything we saw in, uh, in Bucha or Ipin and the destruction, obviously you cannot stay uh, without emotions when you see all that. So, yeah, and that's something we all share together as a group. There was nothing new for us in Bucha, in Borodyanka. We know these things. We, we have write, uh, write uh, about this. We have talked uh, in our country about this. Uh, but it's It's uh, very, very different things when you speak with those people and uh, you, you look how brave they are. Uh, I remember these uh, old women from uh, uh, Bucha. Uh, that was so optimistic, so brave. It, it was a little bit surprising for me. Mm. Yeah, and you see it in the way they stand, the way they talk, the way they look at you, uh, that they are looking forward. <laughs> They are not uh, only sad. It's not only sad, and they are not beaten. You see that Russians didn't beat them, that they are stronger uh, than that, and that makes me optimistic. Okay, I should uh, go. <laughs> you have your train to catch. Yes. Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you. Come on here, French Bulgarian. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Krasen. Thank you for everything. Thank you for everything. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the trip. Yeah, it was really, really inspiring. Thank you. And you are so great with this furry thing. Does anybody tell you that uh, uh, he or she is a little bit afraid because of uh, train line too close? Well, it will be me <laughs> in your podcast. <laughs> so definitely it sounds scary. So what happened? Uh, what happened? One of our group, one journalist from Hungary actually, who started uh, going back earlier with today's train, Uh, actually experienced uh, a very close uh, blast uh, and uh, he wrote a few lines in our common chat and uh, uh, everybody is brave, uh, a part of me, accept me, <laughs> instead of, um, only me, I'm uh, a little bit panicking and that's why I'm uh, telling it to you. Okay. You say she's not brave, but she is. She we is brave, I know, I've been in the train with her. So goodbye everyone. Goodbye. Have, have a safe trip uh, to your home. Just go. You too. Krasimir is making a fight with his hands. <laughs> Number one. Goodbye, journalists. <laughs> is there anyone good at goodbyes? Maybe just. Is there anyone good at goodbyes? It's always. We were like a family for a week. 
Yeah. It's always like that. There's such in kind of like worrying uh, time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's We're, different. Yeah, it's, I think it's <laughs> different. It's different. But okay. Fine. Uh, Francesco, you can tell something to break maybe, the ice. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I better stay silent. <laughs> I don't oh, wanna, no, please don't be silent. I don't want to sabotage the <laughs> podcast. As you can imagine, especially on a trip of many firsts for many of us, saying goodbye was really emotional. So much for Krasimir that he couldn't hold back and shed some tears, as you might have heard. Hearing his reaction again today still gets to all of us who took this trip. In episode one, we have shared the news that Krasimir passed away a few months after our journey together. A trip that he said changed him. Krasimir's presence is felt deeply in this podcast. His way of staying true to his profession was to openly and generously share his emotions in the stories he told. This is what we were doing in this mini-series. And this is how we want to honor him with our deepest gratitude. This is it. Thank you very much for taking the journey together with us on this mini-series of covering Ukraine. I have seen and learned a lot along the way, and I hope you did too. The podcast was recorded by me, Sarah Lepers. It was written together with Daniel Bilik, co-editor and all-things sound person of this show. The views expressed by the characters are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the organizations they work for, nor NOST or the European Commission who funded this project. The podcast covering Ukraine was created as part of the Europe Ukraine Desk, a program that aims at building bridges between journalists from the EU and Ukrainian journalists. Don't hesitate to get in touch at eud at nost.org. The address will be in the description of the episode. Maybe consider telling a friend about this show if you liked it. Share it, please share it. Listen out for further episodes about journalism and journalists in Ukraine. Soon, you'll be able to listen to public discussions organized by the Europe Ukraine Desk in Kyiv about journalism in Ukraine. Also, soon to come, Ukrainian voices who have taken the journey in the opposite direction by visiting us in EU newsrooms. We'll keep in touch. Until then, take care and thanks for listening.